Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study series on the book of Job, in which we go through how God has turned one man's darkness inflicted upon him into the light, and not only the light such that it is blessing for poor Job in the midst of his suffering and restoration at the end of the book, but also the light of God's word. The book of Job is still an inspired book, and we've entered into the difficult part in which Job's friends, particularly beginning with Eliphaz the Temanite, begin to respond to Job's act of cursing the day he was born, speaking from the misery of the heart. So if we have our Bibles open, I would like to open up to Psalm 1. We interpret scripture with scripture. And if we are going to comprehend difficult things in Holy Scripture, then we must go to other passages of the Bible which help us to understand it, at least to get the nuance of it. So here is Psalm 1 in its entirety. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is a psalm telling us that the good shall receive good. The man who walks according to God's word receives good, while the wicked are chastised and punished. For further context, I want to turn to the Gospel of St. John. And I'll show you in a moment why that is that we are going there. John chapter 9, starting in the first verse, the Gospel of St. John chapter 9, as he, that is our Lord Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. One might be under the impression from Psalm 1, from Deuteronomy chapter 28, from all of the book of Proverbs, and so on and so forth, so many places in Holy Scripture, that the righteous man, so long as he is righteous and does righteous deeds, he will receive blessing in this life, and even more so in the life to come. 
And of course, places in the Psalms and places in the Proverbs speak about righteous men going through hard times, but God delivering them from all of these troubles with a sense that this happens quickly. But our Lord Christ, when confronted with a blind man and the apostles asking him, hey, who sinned? What did he do? They are thinking of the law and the thesis that the law puts forward. Do good to get good. And if you do bad, well then, heaven help you. You're going to get a lot of bad. Job's friends speak with the same voice as Christ's disciples from John chapter 9. And for this, our Lord does say to them in Job chapter 42, beginning in verse 7, After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, and I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So last week we were in Job chapter 4, in which Eliphaz the Temanite begins to speak to Job, and he attempts to comfort him. He says, you have made firm the feeble knees, but now it has come to you and you are impatient. Is not your fear of God your confidence and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember, he says in chapter 4 verse 7, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same, by the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. We look at what Eliphaz says in the fourth chapter, and last week we covered the tension between God saying that what Eliphaz was telling Job was not correct concerning God, at least in this circumstance. Eliphaz spoke from the law to a man who needed to hear the gospel. He did not speak anything incorrect. He used the wrong voice, the wrong circumstance, the wrong address to Job's circumstance. But we know that Eliphaz did not speak technically wrong as the prophet Isaiah quotes him in Isaiah chapter 40. Other members, other writers of Holy Scripture in the Old Testament and in the New will refer to the book of Job, oftentimes quoting Job's friends. So, we are at a tension that we have to accept. God is not saying that Eliphaz and his friends, like Bildad and even Elihu, are technically wrong. It is that they are not saying the correct thing at the correct time. It is not the time nor the place to say that which they say. And today, as we move on to Job chapter 5, we will get a little bit more of that. Now here, Eliphaz is going to change his tone a little bit. He addressed Job in chapter 4 with the voice of law. But now, he addresses Job with a bit of the gospel as well. 
And here we feel our tension in our own minds rising. Let us begin in chapter 5 in the first verse. We will read the entirety of the chapter and go back and read it further. Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them. The hungry eat his harvest, and he takes it even out of thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. As for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? He gives rain on the earth, and he sends water on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty, so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noonday as in the night, but he saves the needy from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves, therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue and shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine, you shall laugh and shall not fear the beasts of the earth. For you shall be in league with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall know also that your offspring shall be many, and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in ripe old age like a sheaf, sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, we have searched this out. It is true. Hear and know it for your good. Eliphaz starts in the first seven verses, giving more of the law. And this is a Lutheran man, this Eliphaz, a Lutheran among Lutherans. He knows to bring somebody to contrition or to the realization that they have been wrong with the law. But then he knows, okay, I know that he's starting to feel guilt now, and maybe there's people in the, in the crowd, in the congregation listening to this, the need to hear about God's mercy, so I'll, I'll get to that. He says, call now, is there anyone who will answer you? You need a savior, Job. Ah, yes, the law tells us we need a savior, that is per its second use. To which of the holy ones will you turn? Obviously only the true and holy God. Surely vexation kills the fool and jealousy slays the simple, that shouldn't be you right now, Job. Surely, having preached the law to you, you should be feeling some repentance about now, some contrition over your bad attitude. 
I've seen the fool taking root. Suddenly I cursed his dwelling. And he goes over the curses for the fool. Now mind you, like the book of Proverbs, the word fool here has a connotation of somebody who is immoral or amoral, not just somebody who is unlearned, somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. When he speaks of the fool taking root, this is the bad person doing their best to become prosperous in their life. And he says, well, no, his children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate. There's no one to deliver them. Law, law, law. Sin does not prosper. Perhaps Eliphaz is wondering, maybe I can warn Job away from becoming a fool in this moment. The hungry eat his harvest. He takes it even out of thorns. And the thirsty pant after his wealth. That's the fifth of verse. Where have we heard messages like that before? From the book of Ecclesiastes. How does the wise man die as the fool? Somebody else takes his wealth. Eliphaz here reserves it for the fool who leaves nothing to his children or whatever inheritance his children would have is at risk of theft from other fools. But still, what he says is consistent with the wisdom of his day and even with the book of Proverbs. Still, it is the law. This is what the amoral or the immoral man receives. But in verse 8 he says, As for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without numbers. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. Ah, so Lutheran of him. You've received the law, dear Job, but let me tell you about this God that you can appeal to for deliverance. Let me tell you about this God who is so gracious to us, pure grace from the gospel that he even gives you your daily food and the rain upon the earth. If the law batters and destroys us, certainly the gospel is the salve, the medicine that heals our wounds. So Eliphaz, we might claim, yes, he was wrong to give a man who needed the gospel the law. But now he's giving him both. And yet our Lord still in the last chapter will say that he spoke wrong. Why is that? Let us continue. He says that God catches the wise in their own craftiness, verse 13, and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noonday as the night, but he saves the needy from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts her mouth. Note here that he does not say he saves the penitent. Maybe that's assumed, but he does not bring this up in terms of a morality of those whom God is saving. Remember, he is going off of grace now. He is speaking of the needy, the poor, the afflicted, those who are suffering. God offers a sweet salve of grace to them. And clearly... Eliphaz has Job in mind because Job is needy. Job is poor. 
he has been subject to injustice. There was nothing good nor moral about the afflictions that God permitted the devil to afflict Job with. And so he says in verse 17, Blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. Job, if you accept the forgiveness that God offers you, aren't you blessed? Can't you, you can see how great this is going to be for you if you repent of your sins. If you look upon God for mercy, you call upon him, he's going to restore you. For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. There are multiple Old Testament verses which seem to take their cue from here. Isaiah 30 verse 26 and 61 verse 1. Hosea 6 verse 1. And even later on, Deuteronomy 32 is going to be making similar statements. God indeed is sovereign over all life and death, but he does bind up wounds Uh, He shatters, yes, but his hands heal. Our God wields the law and the gospel for our sake. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death. Oh, how wonderful. And in war from the power of the sword. Here, Eliphaz appeals to God's grace and says, Why don't you repent of your sins? Why don't you look to God for mercy for whatever it is maybe you did? After all, maybe this is discipline. He's still speaking with the same attitude the apostles did in verse 9. Something bad happened to you? Well, the law says that that's what happens to wicked people. Wisdom says that's what happens to the fool, the immoral and the amoral. Maybe maybe this is discipline from God. And something to note in the last few verses When he says in verse 25, You shall know also that your offspring shall be many, and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in ripe old age like a sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear and know it for your good. My goodness, was Eliphaz a prophet? He predicts that if Job repents, and if he goes to God and calls upon him for mercy, that he will have many offspring, the same Job whose children are all at this point dead. He's going to live to a ripe old age. He's going to be so restored. Why don't you appeal to the Lord for mercy that we find in the gospel? Surely Eliphaz is wrong to be speaking in this way, right? Or if we go to Job chapter 42, what do we find? Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job repents. He repents of something, speaking out of turn, speaking out of line, 
not necessarily for sins that he may or may not have committed before he lost everything, but Job does repent. And what do we hear about what happens to Job after? In verse 10 of Job 42, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comforted him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima, the, second, the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons four generations. And Job died an old man and full of days. Eliphaz predicted this. He was spot on. Eliphaz predicted this so accurately when he says... You shall know that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall know also that your offspring shall be many, and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come up to your grave in ripe old age like a sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, this we have searched out, it is true. Hear and know it for your good. He is right. He has not spoken a single incorrect word in chapter 4 or chapter 5. Every single word that Eliphaz the Temanite has said is technically true. With one glaring, bright exception. He implies and seems to be claiming that what is happening to Job is discipline against Job. That Job deserves what has happened to him because he sinned. And of course, every Lutheran in the crowd throws up their hands and they, they raise some hallelujahs for Eliphaz the Temanite. Sorry, hallelujahs. We don't use the H. And they raise that up because after all, we are all sinners and we all deserve a terrible suffering, eternal damnation for our sins. Except Job. Whom God has said very, very clearly in the very first chapter of this book. What does our Lord say but that Job was blameless? There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. During Job's time, uh, provided perhaps that he came before Abraham, though they were likely contemporaries, this was likely the most righteous man on the planet living. The three candidates that we have for those being Melchizedek, Job, and Abraham. Job in his time is so righteous that God himself says, this man is blameless. He has the righteousness that comes by faith. He is active in his sanctification and the sanctification of his children. He has not made a single misstep thus far and will not even curse the people that killed his family. Eliphaz is wrong to say that this is reproof for something Job did. 
If he has sinned in the past, and Job will later on admit he has sinned in the past, God does not hold that to Job's account. He is not suffering his just deserts for some hidden sin or some sin from decades ago. All of that is atoned for. God does not see it. So the standard law and gospel dynamic that we Lutherans are wonderfully, happily addicted to because it is always applicable in our circumstances, I can tell you that for sure, it doesn't apply to Job in this particular circumstance. The same way when our Lord Christ is asked who sinned, the blind man or his parents, our Lord Jesus says neither. This is for God's glory. This is to show God's mercy on all. And so, too, when we look at the book of James, we find the exact same wording, or at least similar enough for me to call it that you have seen the purpose of the Lord regarding Job, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Eliphaz appeals to God's mercy, but in light of Job the sinner, not Job the beloved one of God. He appeals to the law and the gospel to say that Job can be restored without understanding that, yes, God does wound, God does bind up, God does harm, God does heal. He is the king of the entire universe and he will do as he pleases, but always with the aim for his glory and for his love for us. Let that be a warning to every single Lutheran pastor that ever has the pleasure of doing counseling for those who are suffering. May we always keep this in mind, that God's mercy and compassion are the first and foremost things that should be on our mind when somebody comes up and tells us, my baby died. When somebody tells us, I lost my job, I, I don't know what happened, I didn't do anything wrong, I just got laid off. When somebody comes up to us and says all of this and we go, well, let's do confession first before I uh, get into the good news. Oh, may God knock our teeth out before we ever do such a thing as that. And Job, while he is called steadfast in the book of St. James, we are also going to see him being steadfast, not only in clinging to God, but also steadfast in his ability to resist the uh, erring ways of his friend. We will see that next week. Amen and amen. <laughs>